Well, I do want to, again, just say how good it is to see everybody. We've taken a few weeks uh, to step back, and I took, some of you all know, I took Beth away, and the two of us, for a few days, and then uh, we came back, and then we flew out to Texas to see her side of the family, so it was great. It was great. It was great. That's a long way away, and uh, it's always good to go off, right, but even better to come home. And, um, but it was great. It was great to be away. Um, I want to share maybe also uh, just real quickly, Kathy, if it's okay, just to remind everybody. Um, first of all, can I see this is sort of the, 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 the uh, obligatory question. Everybody loving the hope you of what we're doing, what we've been doing. Um, great. And uh, we're, we're continuing to go through this. Um, last week, we announced that uh, Dr. Michael Beck, and I'm going to uh, introduce him formally in just a moment, would be with us tonight. Tonight, uh, I want to share with you next week, you're not going to want to miss also, we have Dr. Tim Tennant, who is a friend of mine, who is the president of Asbury Theological Seminary. So uh, we have a lot of folks who are joining us, uh, teaching us, and leading us through this time that have been impacted uh, or trained at Asbury Seminary. And uh, uh, Dr. Tennant is um, not only the president, but he is a world missiologist and is going to be speaking on next week on the development of Christianity around the world. And this is going to be a fascinating, fascinating talk. He is an engaging, uh, wonderful person, and um, you're going to want to be a part of that. I'm pumped to have him sharing with us next week. Uh, tonight, I want to take a minute and introduce my friend to you. So um, tonight, we're privileged to have uh, Dr. Michael Beck, and he's going to be sharing uh, on fresh expressions. And uh, I want to say this is a little bit of a different uh, conversation and teaching time tonight, because a lot of what we've been doing so far is, has been uh, focused on just different topics to learn. But to, tonight, what uh, Michael is going to be sharing with you also as a place in our church because we're developing ministries around this idea of fresh expressions. We're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end. So some of what you're, you're going to hear tonight, you're going to be excited about and empowered uh, to learn. Uh, let that uh, excitement fuel the opportunity for you to jump into some of what uh, Mike's going to teach us tonight. So uh, let me just say by way of introduction, uh, Michael earned his MDiv from Asbury Theological Seminary, graduated with honors, also has a doctor of ministry degree from George Fox University. And uh, like our own Pastor Trevor, um, really, I think the, the award of note in your time at Asbury Seminary is the Towel and Basin Award. And that is really given to uh, somebody who embodies really the ministry in the heart of Jesus. And we know that Trevor was a recipient of that award. so. Uh, we see the benefit of that, but I want to share also that Michael has also received that award. Uh, Michael serves together with his wife, Jill, as a senior pastor at Wildwood uh, Church uh, up in Wildwood, Florida. They're reaching their community in some very, very creative ways. But in addition to that, uh, Michael has been used of God to serve the wider Christian body to challenge and invite a conversation uh, about fresh expressions. And this is why I'm passionate about this in our church. Many of y'all know when you take partnership, you learn the mission of our church, we believe, is that community of hope exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and grow fully devoted followers. And so 
one of the things that we say in our core values is the message uh, will never change, but the method can change. And so um, we're not we're not uh, addicted or to a particular method. And so Michael's going to bring a word of challenge tonight uh, about some real creative ways to reach unchurched people for Jesus Christ. You're going to learn real quickly. He's a sought after speaker uh, and um, an expert in the field that we've invited him to communicate on tonight. Lots of folks. Uh, go to hear Michael share on this topic. Uh, The other thing I want to say just real quickly, uh, he and Jill have a blended family of eight uh, children, and I think he's a granddad already. Are you a great-granddad? He's a, you're a granddad. Okay, so I knew that was there, and and many of y'all know about my own covenant group I've been a part of. Now we're beginning, we're in the middle of our 29th year. Uh, Pastor Trevor is part of a covenant group Michael and Trevor are in that same group together. So he's really a friend of your pastors, but somebody that we're very, very honored uh, to have communicate to us tonight. So I want to introduce uh, our friend, uh, Dr. Michael Beck. Can we just all say welcome to him? And we're going to turn it, we're going to turn it over to you, brother. Don't mess it up. Cool. Thank you, Kathy. I was, I was stuck on mute there for a minute. Well, good evening, everybody. It's so good to be with you all, and um, I'm grateful for your time. Um, I'm going to jump right into this and and share. We'll do some things creatively to break it up. I know it's a long time uh, to be in a posture of learning at a screen, so we'll do some fun stuff together, and then we'll jump into some um, Q&A. And so if you have questions, thoughts as we go along, feel free to post those in the chat or just write them down or hang on to them. And we'll try to deal with as many of those as possible. And I know Susan will uh, come and help us during that time as well. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen and jump right into uh, an intro to Fresh Expressions. Okay, so uh, let's start our time in this passage of Scripture. And if you don't mind, let me just say a prayer um, over the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. It is a light unto our path. It is a mirror that shows us who we are. It is a revelation, O oh God, that shows us who you are. And so we pray this would not be just another time of, uh, of learning, but we come humbly seeking an encounter with you. Yeah. We ask that you would cause these words to burst forth from their ink cage and live and dance in us in incarnate ways. We ask a Holy Spirit that you would breathe upon your already breathing scriptures. And bring them to life in us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So this will be kind of a central text for what I'm going to share tonight. It's Romans 11. And also I'll be looking at Acts 15 a little bit for those of you who may may want to have your Bibles and follow along with that. And this is a pretty complex passage. And it's right in the middle of um, Paul teaching about kind of a new Israel and how the Gentiles in Israel together create this community that we call the church. Uh, and so we won't read through the whole passage, but just highlight a little bit of this. He starts talking about how the dough, um, a first fruits of a dough is offered. It makes the whole batch holy. And Paul loves to mix his uh, metaphors, which can be very confusing. It's kind of all over the place with that sometimes. But uh, then he jumps right into this image of a tree. 
And interestingly enough, the Bible never really tells us what the church is, like a definition of the church is, dot, 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 like a tweet. But it tells us what the church is like in this kaleidoscope of images. Um, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is a field. The church is, um, you know, and in this case, a tree, an olive tree, which also has rich symbolism all through the scriptures. The olive tree is very important. Um, and Jesus teaches a lot about uh, trees. But this image, this metaphor of the church is the church as an olive tree. And God is doing this strange and beautiful thing where branches are being broken off and new branches are being grafted in. Um, and what the tree is rooted in, um, reaching back to this concept in Numbers and Deuteronomy, that a portion makes the whole thing holy. Uh, and through, through Messiah Jesus, the patriarchs and the scriptures and the matriarchs, um, the whole tree has been made holy. And the interesting thing is that God is grafting these, these wild branches, um, which is really the, the Gentile community, into this, this tree. And so Paul really is a city boy, unlike Jesus. Jesus was a country boy. Um, but so Paul's uh, mixing metaphors and he's, he's using uh, this language of typically you don't graft a wild branch onto a cultivated tree, but you graft a cultivated branch onto a wild tree. You could, you could change the organism in this way. But the, the main idea here is that God is grafting these, these new um, people into this community, a new Israel that includes slave, Scythian, Jew, free, male, female, Gentile, Israelite, all together. What a beautiful image for the church, especially for this time, because it seems like God is up to doing some, um, some grafting work these days in this time of disorientation. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the blended ecology because I, I think when people start to hear about fresh expressions of church and emerging forms of church happening in tattoo parlors and such, we can get a little bit, um, you know, uh, uh, worried about that because it might be somewhat new to some of us. Um, so I want to just from the very beginning say that this is this is really two forms of church that live together. and It's not leaving the traditional church or the inherited church that that formed us and shaped us behind in any way. It's about these forms of church living together, what we would call a blended ecology. So I had an opportunity to go over to Israel and be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, there are trees there, olive trees, that are reportedly 2,000 years old. Some of them have been uh, dated and, and such. And so one thing was to, to touch trees, and I, I'm sure some of you may have had the chance to go there as well, that Jesus potentially touched or, or sat in the, the gar this garden um, the last night of his life where he sweat blood. You know, that was a, a soul um, uh, explosion moment, right, to, to just be there. And, um, but what I noticed about the olive trees, um, and this is the very image that Paul uses for the church in Romans 11, is that they're, they're really old, and you can see that, but they stay alive for hundreds and even thousands of years, not by staying the same, but by continually, continuously multiplying. And while the kind of the old gnarled shell of the olive tree is still there and the root ball is the same for hundreds and thousands of years, but these new little branches are springing up out of the root ball and uh, grafting together and the tree 
um, perpetuate this life cycle and this multiplication kind of a thing rather than um, just staying the same in this monolithic you know, form forever. And this is the image that Paul chooses to talk about the church. So what I want to talk about tonight is uh, a church that has that rootedness and depth uh, in its traditions. And uh, we use the language of inherited church, not to say like this burdensome, you know, inheritance that we have to carry now. But this beautiful gift that the saints of the past have given their blood, sweat and tears so we could have this precious inheritance of the gospel of the church. Um, and as always, as God was doing back in Romans 11, as God's still doing today, uh, these, these new branches, these new forms of community of faith are being grafted in <clears throat> and creating this kind of new organism all the time. And that's been happening for two, as long as there's been a church that's been happening uh, with new shoes being kind of grafted in. So I just want to quickly um, show what this looks like at a, at a local church level. Uh, and I'm not sharing the story of Wildwood because it's some kind of ideal church uh, that, you know, um, this this church, we, you know, each month we wonder if we're going to make it the next month. There's struggles. There's all kinds of things. But maybe one of these stories, if it could spark um, or inspire one of you to, to maybe get involved or plant some kind of missional community. That's why I share the story. But Wildwood was planted in 1881 as the Methodist Episcopal South Congregation. So wrong side of the slavery issue, um, old uh, church. It was the, the big the big city church in its day. Um, and when Jill and I came, uh, actually nine years ago now, our ninth year, uh, Wildwood was, we had about 30 people in worship and everybody was uh, chronologically mature. So they were, they had been holding down the fort for a long time. Most folks were 80 years old and above. Um, and so when we came, that there was a very um, uh, vulnerable situation, uh, and it was a kind of you know last chance for the church to to stay um, open. Um, so at Wildwood, we do all those things. The traditional church is still there, and it's alive and uh, it's grown in some different ways. Um, and so we have you know United Methodist Women and Quilters Guilds and Bible studies and. We watch Dale Locke sermons um, on, on Wednesday nights uh, in, in our in our Bible study and stuff. Um, so all of the normal church stuff is happening. But then there's some not so um, maybe what you would call typical forms of church happening as well. So rather than trying to talk about all that, I'm going to share a video with you. Um, <clears throat> and I'm wondering if I actually hit the sound when I went into this. So Kathy, if the sound's not playing, please stop me. Wildwood, Florida, and um, we're, I'm about to introduce you to the world that is my parish. Three Dozen Bibles is a church that happens in a Moe's Southwest Grill. Tattoo parlor church. Church happening in a tattoo parlor. The church 3.1 gives people a chance to get out, get fit, talk about Jesus. Yoga therapy church. Mind, body, and soul meeting together. People in the community bring their dogs here. So we're having church here today. Sheer love is a fresh expression. I bring my scissors, my blow dryer, and try to let them know that they are loved by God. Faithfully Fit came out of making relationships with people that are already there in the park. So we do a short devotion. And then we get out there and we just walk. On Wednesdays is when they have the taste of grace, the community come together to eat. 
I took the, the door off my office, off the hinges, and I put that in the sanctuary and, and just let the congregation know that I was not going to be in that office. And this guy, John Wesley, he said this thing like, um, the world is my parish. So I let them know that I would be doing that. So I would go out in the community, and that would be my office, connecting with people, being in those spaces, building relationships. To be honest, when he first started talking about Fresh Expressions, we were very skeptical and felt he was ignoring the needs of the older parishioners who, because of their loyalty to the church, they deserved his time and attention. And, you know, at a certain point, it was very interesting to watch as the Holy Spirit kind of took over. My goal was to navigate those two worlds of taking care of the folks, the saints who've been holding this church together, and at the same time, um, do things in the community. We got some folks willing that experienced the Vision Day and had caught kind of a, a vision for this. We brought them to a pioneer learning community. So they got actually immersive training in these concepts and do's and don'ts. So then we just started to uh, encourage people to find like your passion, your hobby. Let's start talking about that, how it can be a fresh expression. And uh, one after another, we started to kind of just explore ideas. We're encouraging them and letting them know that they don't have to be a professional minister, um, that God has called them, you know, just right where they are. They're able to start up these smaller communities inside of their own community. We we are kind of planting green spaces throughout our community. We would call them fresh expressions. But we also have to take care of the inherited, what I like to call the, the tree. So there's that inherited tree that's been there for a long time and has lived through the desert of decline and post-Christendom. So when we're grafted together in this way, we're seeing this new kind of vineyard emerge. And our church is no longer really defined about just the rootstock, just the tree. But now um, people in our community experience us in all these different ways. Like they're that church over there in the tattoo parlor and they're the one in the Mexican restaurant. They do that thing in the park. Our church is growing and a lot of the growth is coming from people accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I was at a point in my life where I would have not, probably not set foot back into church because I had been hurt so much. But then I went to a fresh expression, something like this, and that's where I, I guess, I re-fell in love with God. And here I am, like, a year later, and I'm, like, about to start my own. So I think in a smaller church that we sometimes look at our barriers rather than um, our assets. So we have to give permission to fail forward. It's okay to throw a lot of noodles at the wall and see what sticks and what comes out of it. Wildwood is, is a normal church. We do all those things every week that most churches do. We have Bible studies. We have Celebrate Recovery programs. But then every week at Wildwood, there's some not so normal things happening uh, in the sense of traditional church as most of us have experienced it. And almost every day, there's some fresh expression meeting in some location throughout the community. And so those things are happening, coexisting beside uh, all the normal traditional things that are happening in a church and giving life to each other. So those traditional forms are sending people out into the fresh expressions. The fresh expressions are sending people who matriculate back to the church. Uh, and there's an exchange that's going on there that's life-giving. And that, I think, is probably the, the most powerful thing about fresh expressions in an inherited, mixed economy way, is you release the mission force that's sitting in your pews every Sunday. So that, that gives you a little vision of kind of what uh, Wildwood looks like today. And the traditional congregation has also 
grown and I'll explain kind of how that process happens. And we also have kind of a church plant really um, there in the, the traditional inherited space, um, really kind of a whole new church of all these people we've encountered in these fresh expressions who when they, they meet Jesus and they find out, oh, you know what? Christians really aren't that bad. They're not as terrible as, you know, the culture tells us they are. And they end up kind of um, coming to the traditional uh, church as well. Um, so today we have uh, these 13 different fresh expressions. We have a uh, church happening in the Moe's Southwest Grill. It, uh, that picture at the top there, the guy in the blue shirt is Adrian. He's our person of peace. So in Luke 10, Jesus lays out the missional blueprint and says, you know, go out in teams, uh, travel light, leave your baggage behind, find the person of peace that welcomes you, let your peace rest with them, your, their peace will rest on you, so it'll be a peace exchange. Those are just simply the people that open up the space or the network or the practice or whatever the thing is that God's called us um, to do. Those people kind of open the door to that. So as you can see, we, we had um, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, study scripture. Um, people come to Christ for the first time in these spaces. Um, at, at Burritos and Bibles, we, we went about a year and finally somebody said, hey, this is our church, right? Um, and uh, so they dumped out the chips and salsa basket and they, um, you know, we took a collection for the first time. So the community kind of leads us in these spiritual waves. And I'll, I'll talk about that more fully towards the end. Um, but we're just really kind of following the spirit and as the community kind of leads us into logical next step. You heard about Kaylee who said, you know, I was totally done with church. And I, f I found out God loved me again. And here I am, you know, planting a fresh expression on my own in the library. And Denise was a, a Christian for about a year. So I was there when Denise prayed for the first time in her life. One of the most beautiful, honest um, prayers. Um, and then within a year of that, she's planted her own church, Church 3.1, which is a bunch of young professionals. She, she runs these marathons and these crazy uh, 5K races. So she got community together. She takes out her screen. She reads a couple of verses of scripture, prays, and there she is, you know, planting her own church. Uh, this is the democratization of church planting, by the way. All of us who are followers of Jesus have uh, the capacity and the gifts and the calling to, to do this together. And then there's uh, Renee who started Yoga Church. Uh, she's a yoga instructor, so that's her thing. She's got this whole network of people. So now we worship Jesus through the practice of yoga. And uh, she leads people through a devotional. And, um, and now through this postures, we're going to give ourselves to God and the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a picture of uh, Nick taking communion for the first time at Tattoo Parlor Church. That's church happening in Tattoo Parlor. Fully church, we worship Jesus, we engage scripture, take communion, and people get faith-based tattoos. Um, so, and it's not anything goes tattoos. Like we don't get like god awful seminal symbols or something. Just, you know, cro <laughs> Amen. Crosses and flames and scriptures and doves and um, Jesus iconography and gator symbols. There's some gator symbols in there. Um, and then there's a church happening in the MLK Junior. Uh, it's a breakfast church, mostly with kids and teenagers who come in. Taste of Grace Dinner Church, our food pantry. We feed several hundred people every two weeks. 
So we just started inviting them to a community dinner. It's a banquet of God's grace for them to come and have this meal with us. We tell a Jesus story. Uh, the Weight Watchers community happened in the park. Paws of Praise is a, a dog park church. Um, and uh, I think you guys already know about this one a little bit. And uh, it's just Larry, 80-year-old pioneer who said, I take my dog Rocky to the dog park. I have a community of people that I gather with there. And I think I can have church right there in the dog park. And then our um, some of our United Methodist women said, well, hey, we're really good at arts and crafts, and we have a passion for that. So we're going to start this thing in the community center called Arts for Love and teach people how to do sea glass and that and things and, um, and tell them about Jesus and share Jesus' story. So these things are happening all over the place, mostly. Uh, I don't even like this terminology, but lay people are driving the driving force for this. Then came COVID-19, and I'll get a little bit deeper in the Q&A time with this. But we're highly dependent on those um, first, second, and third places. So in the language of sociologist Ray Oldenburg, first place is your home space. Second place is your workspace or your school space. Third space are those neutral kind of communal places where people gather for practices. Uh, you know, Moe's Southwest Grill, the tattoo part the park, the dog park, whatever that is in your specific community. So we lost those spaces um, when when uh, COVID-19 struck. So we had to, and we still, I wouldn't say we've figured out everything. We're, we're just very much learning, trying to keep up with the Holy Spirit. But a couple fresh expressions really were able to pivot and go digital and they transition well. And they're actually probably more reaching more people than they ever did physically. Um, Yoga at Church Digital is one and Pause of Praise. Um, our, our pug Vader, he's in the picture there on the bottom. He just loves Pause of Praise to get on Zoom with his, his friends and um, have a digital version of, of church. Uh, we started a supper table church. So we, we were homeschooling our children. We knew other parents who were homeschooling their children. Like, what are we doing? We have no idea. Our poor children are having to learn from us. Um, so what if we just all made a meal, put a screen at one chair at the table, and we just connected and talked and had a Jesus story and prayer? Um, so some of these things really transitioned. We, we planted some new fresh expressions that are totally digital, um, and we transitioned all our worship to totally digital. The really cool thing is at Wildwood, we don't have any full-time clergy. We don't have any full-time staff. Uh, all of this is done by lay teams of people who just feel called by God to give of themselves in this way. So another passage I wanted to kind of use to anchor us in this is in um, Acts 15. And there you see these really two very different, uh, I don't want to say modes of church or ways of being church, and they're very distinct. So in Jerusalem, uh, you know, there's the, the heritage of the, the Israelite very much what we would call an inherited or traditional form of church, the temple. They're gathering in the temple and God's adding to their number daily and at their homes, the home space and the temple space. Then the Antioch form of church is very different and the Gentiles um, worship in different ways and have different language. And they're not willing to put that kind of skin in the game. I'm referring to the circumcision, uh, which they, they are not, they're not for that. <laughs> So they have this big um, uh, council, Acts 15, and Paul and Barnabas come and represent what the Holy Spirit's doing out here in Antioch. And yes, it's weird and strange, and 
and there's the Jerusalem church and they, they come together and they decide, okay, we're going to reduce the 613 Levitical restrictions to these really key three uh, biggies. And we're going to not require the Gentiles to be circumcised, which is massive. I mean, this goes all the way back to Abraham. Uh, it was the mark of a Jewish male. And they, they follow what the Spirit's doing and they, they follow the mission and they, they adapt. And those two modes of church live together. And, and thrive. And so you see Paul kind of collecting offerings to send back to Jerusalem and Jerusalem sending people and leaders. And so this is literally just a diagram of Acts 15 uh, and what it looks like in the, the modern, uh, our church or our facility, our, 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 our multiple campuses for y'all. Um, it's kind of this attractional space where we come to worship God and his holy hill and his primary zip code. And God draws people into that space. And then there's these emerging missional scattered kind of forms of church all over the community in every space and place. I wanted to quickly talk about this idea of dual transformation. It comes from these Harvard business guys um, who really studied businesses that kind of get stuck and how some of them transition and grow and thrive where others kind of close and die. And they talk about a process called dual transformation. And I thought it's a great uh, metaphor for what happens in the blended ecology and transformation, not in the sense of like, um, we just are going to do worship like we always did it, but now on an online format or something, um, but transformation in the sense of like um, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and liquefies and goes through this messy slushy process and comes out this uh, completely different creature. The Bible word there is metamufu, metamorphosis, transformation. Um, and at the simplest level, um, what they figured out uh, in this new kind of dispersed digital network society, companies have to find, A, find better ways to serve their existing customers and grow the center, while simultaneously finding ways to reach new customers outside core markets and then leveraging and combining those things in, in the sea. So we know that we're in a mission field right now. The United States is the third largest mission field in the world. Land of the nuns and the duns and the disinterested in the church. Um, and Alan Hirsch talks about the 40-60 problem. So uh, most churches are fighting uh, in the blood red waters for this 40% of, of a dwindling Christian base. And, and we're failing to reach the big blue ocean, this mass of people. They're just never going to come to church on Sunday. It doesn't matter how good we our worship is, if, even if we have Trevor Johnston preaching, or if we have you know the best band and lighting and coffee, a large percentage of population is just not going to come on Sunday. So how do we reach those people and be church with them while at the same time, you know, um, doing worship well? It's a faithful biblical. Um, way. So the dual transformation idea is about re reinventing today, so doing church differently in the inherited way so that it, it thrives and reaches new people, and creating the new thing, um, and then linking those things together um, through this capabilities. Like, so let me go back to scripture language here, but the inherited and emerging forms of church living together and then linking those things together is what I'm going to talk about skip over this but what we're really talking about is cultivating what's already there so caring for the tree pruning fertilizing um, jesus 
gives us that uh, parable of, of a tree that's not bearing fruit. It says, give me three years with it. Let me fertilize it and trim it and see if it bears fruit. Then seeding. So another major focus of, as the church is planting the new things. Jesus gives the parable of the sower, casting that seed everywhere, all over the place, profusely anywhere uh, it lands. And then grafting those things together. So this is where things can be challenging sometimes. But this is an actual plant called ketchup and fries. So you literally can grow your ketchup and your french fries in the same plant. You all know about this? I think it's just amazing because, um, you know, Methodists, when we, when we meet, we eat and uh, ketchup and french fries. But this literally is a plant that's grafted together, grows potatoes in the ground, tomatoes up top. It's called ketchup and fries. Google it. I promise you. I'm not making it up. And that is really a hybrid organism um, where it, it's growing potatoes, but it's also grafted. So think of that image in Romans 11 of God grafting these wild branches into the existing tree, creating this hybrid organism. So every, every church on the new missional frontier is going to have to be a hybrid organism. We will not be able to just be uh, an attractional-only church. Uh, we probably never should have been, but we were in a, um, a kind of a situation in the United States where basically you could build it and they would come and, and we had a, you know, a thriving time. Gil Rindle talks about an aberrant time where these social forces came together to really create a cultural brand of Christianity where people kind of come to church. That's really not the thing anymore. Uh, we, we're in a post-Christendom, post-Christian society really right now. Um, so when we do this work of gathering, scattering, and now we have to add analog and digital, right? And graft all those together, that's what we would call a blended ecology. So I hope I explained that a little bit. But this is the image that I used to show of our community. So this is the ecosystem, in every home space and every second place work, school space, every third place is a potential place where church can happen. Um, and where church should happen. In fact, the Holy Spirit's calling us to these spaces and saying, come out and join what I'm doing in these people's lives. I'm already out here ahead of you. Come and be with me. But now I have to modify this. Um, this is what the blended ecology ecosystem looks like today. Um, and this is, I think, where we would have been ahead of the curve if we had a more hybrid digital um, kind of way of doing fresh expressions. We did it, so now we're kind of paying the price for that. But the digital space we have to take seriously that it also is a third place. It also is a place where church can happen and uh, people can come to know Jesus because we've seen it. We've had people, you know, confess their faith and join into our church and all that right in all these digital spaces. So now we have to re-envision our community as not only this, you know, the physical places, but digital spaces that links it all together and um, the digital space itself could be where church happens. So I'm almost to a little break where we can do a fun exercise here together. But um, I think this is helpful. We used to always talk about the attractional, incarnational, um, you know, spectrum that we need to do attractional things and incarnational things. But now we have to add this this other idea, physical and digital, and we really should have ministry and church happening in all over this uh, these four quadrants, right? That all over the place. Um, Different forms of church are going to be in the, the different um, versions of this. So a fresh expression is a form of church for a changing culture. This movement started in England. 
So it's not some fly by night, just, you know, brand, it's not a program. Um, it's, um, something that the spirit's been stirring up for several decades. And, um, in England, they're about 20 years ahead of us in the decline of the church, big, massive, beautiful cathedrals that are mostly empty now. Um, and, and not a lot of people going to church. So they just noticed the Holy Spirit is doing this weird thing. These little emerging forms of church are springing up in normal places where people kind of do life and parks and uh, taverns and pubs. Um, and so they created this report in 2004 called the Mission Shaped Church Report. The only church report in human history that became a bestseller. I don't know about you, but I'm not really into reading church reports. Um, and kind of transform the ecclesiology of the Church of England. And it's there that they first use this language of mixed economy and blended ecology of church. And that the future church was going to have to be a both and that kind of thing. Um, so that movement that started in the United Kingdom um, has jumped over to the United States and taken on a life of its own. Our state really is kind of the hub of that activity in the United States. Um, but the, the language of fresh expression, some people struggle with it. Um, and some of the people who created it actually say they wish they would have used something different. But uh, in the, Deng the Anglican Declaration of Ascent, it says to proclaim the gospel afresh in every generation. To proclaim the gospel afresh in every generation. So they took that inherited, very traditional statement, remixed it a little bit, and created fresh expressions of church. So these are churches. They're, they're legitimate churches. Um, they may be different than what we've thought about church, but they're missional. So they're, God is a missional God. They're focused on um, people that are not yet Christians. They're contextual. So they take on the form of the context, whatever that is, and it's appropriate, the language and the, the people in it. It's going to really have a contextual flavor. They're formational, so they're not just hanging out in cool spaces, but their disciples are being made. And, um, Kathy asked me to talk about that a little bit disciple-making process, so I'll get to that. And they're ecclesial, so they're a full expression of church. They're not a stepping stone. They're not, you know, um, we're going to plant this here to get people back. We're going to plant churches where people are and, and stay. But many times people will make the journey back, which is really good. So for those of you that are Methodists, and I love that not everybody at your church is Methodist. I think that's awesome. It means you're doing something right. Um, but for the Methodists among you, this is not a new thing. This is deja vu. There's this guy named John Wesley, um, April 2nd, 1739. He realized the church is not connecting with the people. So he goes out to a field just outside of Bristol, he preaches the gospel. 3,000 people show up. Um, and he didn't want to do this. He wanted to stay in his office in the, the comfy, uh, you know, commodious room in the pulpit. This was a renegade act for an Anglican clergy person to go out in the spaces of normal life in the fields and the miners' camps and the debtors' prisons and preach and form churches. So he writes in his journal that day, his first um, field preaching endeavor, at four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile. Um, so he, um, this vile movement called Methodism is born in the fields, not in a sanctuary, but out in the fields where people are. And this is kind of the process of fresh expressions, and I'll I'll actually spend the, the last couple of minutes talking about this. Um, these these things are centered set communities, so uh, most churches function like a bounded set where you have this clear boundary, 
and you're in or out. Like when you recite the Apostles' Creed and you behave in a certain way, then you're in, and if not, you're out. The Fresh Expressions are more of a centered set where the, the center is Jesus. Um, and everybody can be at all different orientations and, and places moving towards the center. And that's okay because we're, we're practicing a belonging before believing journey. So we, we create community that people belong to. And over time, we, we learn to bend our life to the truth of Scripture and to orient our lives towards Jesus. Um, so let's do a fun little exercise and, and uh, break up me talking here for an hour. Um, and I just want to challenge you on this um, to reimagine church. So I'm going to put a slide up here, and in just a minute, I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that I can uh, talk with y'all. Um, and let's say that we had to decide today, um, what are the essentials of church? And anything that's not an essential, we, we would just get rid of that for now. So just the bare essentials of what is the church. What I want to ask you to do is take a minute and just look over these. Um, and then think about what what would you absolutely, you could not have church without having this. And whatever those things are for you, just post them in the chat so we can share in them together. Um, so look over this list together. And for instance, do we need a sanctuary? Do we need Jesus? So let's just take a couple minutes and do this and then we'll look at your responses. All right, I'm going to stop sharing here so I can actually see you all. All right. So let's see here. We got a lot. Worship, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Bible. Somebody kept children's ministry. I'm glad for the most part, it looks like everybody kept Jesus, Pastor Dale. That's good news, right? It would have been a rough one. Yeah, praise God. So let's talk about um, fellowship, worship, Jesus and people, a lot of that. Um, Youth ministry, children's ministry. Nobody kept coffee. What's wrong with you people? Okay. How, how could you have church without coffee? Jeez. So let's let's talk about children's ministry for a minute. Um, somebody felt like that was essential. Do you wanna do you wanna unmute maybe and oh, some Vic Vic did mention coffee. So 
Vic said he's willing to give up coffee? No, I think he wants the coffee. Oh, okay. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I can unmute the person who said oh, that. Oh, okay. No problem. No problem. So we're running out of time anyway. We can come back to this in the Q&A time. Uh, but, but just to stretch you a little bit. So some of these fresh expressions, it's all kids. Like the whole church is just kids. It's a breakfast church with messy, uh, you know, carts and crafts. And some of them are, um, uh, some of these happen in the villages, which is a, I'm sure y'all know, retirement community. So folks on a little bit on the older end of the spectrum there. Um, and there's no kids. But would we say that it was still church? What's happening there? Um, and I, I get the idea would be, of course, we want to have kids ministry and youth ministry, obviously. But when we think about the contextual nature of church. Not all of them are going to have, um, you know, children because it's going to take on that that context and that flavor. So let me um, just run through a couple more things and then we'll have a good time of Q&A. So I'm going to share my screen again. Thank you for doing that with me, by the way. Um, okay. So. Uh, what what the early church decided when they came together, they created this thing called the Nicene Creed. And they said a, a bit about God the Father, quite a bit about God the Son, a little bit about God the Spirit. They didn't know what to do with the wild child of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. They get to the church. It's just one holy Catholic and apostolic. So Paul gives us those seven ones, one Lord, one baptism, one God, Father, all. so that there's a unity in the church. That's an essential a oneness, uh, a holiness. The church needs to be a holy church. And what, what um, we mean by that is that we reflect the character of God. So as we interact with this holy God, whose nature is chesed, unfailing love, mercy, that interaction with God should shape how we live. So there's an upward dimension, a worship um, component that's changing us. There's a Catholicity, little c, don't get freaked out by that. Um, which just means universal, connected across time and space and all people and races. And then apostolic is that sentness. Um, the word apostello is, is just simply sent. So we're outward oriented. We're, we're always focused on the ones that aren't here yet. The Great Commission, you know, sent out to the world kind of idea. So those things, we kind of remix them when we think about a fresh expression. It needs to have a holy worship upward component. These have a missional component like Denise who came to faith and she's planning her own fresh expression within a year. That's um, that indigenous, like Paul planted churches and he raised up leaders and then they planted churches. And that's how the church kind of exploded all over the Roman Empire. That oneness, there's community. People are in a safe space uh, sharing what they're going through. Um, there's that Catholicity, that connectedness. So these things are tethered to the inherited church. They're not these little, you know, islands or um, things on their own. They, the blended ecology is about all of that living together in a relationship. And it opens our eyes to like church multiplication. Church planting doesn't always have to result in a building that we own. In fact, many of these fresh expressions, we will never own the building, um, but we're being church there in those spaces. So this whole spectrum that opens us up as the whole people of God, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, and it's about releasing the wolves. Like this is not about asking Pastor Dale or Trevor to do more. Um, 
um, that, than they already do. And, and most of our clergy are exhausted and tired just from trying to keep up with everything. But this is about the whole people of God. There's a great um, video out there. I'm not going to show it today because we're running out of time, but uh, it's called How Wolves Change the Rivers. It's on YouTube. I encourage you to watch it. But when they reintroduce wolves into the Yellowstone National Park after removing them, uh, it released a trophic cascade of change. So they thought, yeah, let's take the wolves out. You know, they're messy. They kill stuff uh, in the early 1900s. Put them back in in the 1990s, and it changed the migration patterns and vegetation and how the rivers literally flowed. It changed the whole ecosystem. And we have a modern church that's essentially um, in a state of learned helplessness. Um, and what, what happened when you take the wolves out, you actually create an artificial ecosystem. Um, and an ecosystem without wolves that are natural to that environment is artificial. And a lot of folks, we've been programmed in this form of church where it's, you know, we come and we consume the religious goods and services and the professional shepherd kind of feeds us that. Then we go back to work and then we come back next week. Um, but this is about actually releasing the whole people of God to create a trophic cascade in our community that changes everything. And that happens by understanding our own giftedness um, uh, making ourselves sensitive to the stirrings of the Holy Spirit in you, that, that you are called by God, that you are ordained in the waters of your baptism, that you are a gifted child of God, that, that you actually um, could um, plant churches in, in, as teens. And so this idea in Ephesians 4 of the apest apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, most of the time we kind of exile the apostle people who are out there doing crazy stuff on the edge and the prophets who kind of speak truth to the system and the evangelists who are the infectious recruiters. We're really centered in a shepherd teacher kind of a form of church where we all come for the teaching and the shepherd to shepherd us. And that The apes uh, that we like to call them, they've kind of been exiled out of the church. And some of you gathered in this space tonight are apes. You've just been waiting to for something like this to go out there and use your gifts. And so we have to think about probably an inherited church, about 50% of our time dedicated to the congregation uh, in our inherited work. It's important things that we do in the congregation. We're not uh, dismissing or minimizing that. But then about the other half of our work needs to be out in the community connecting with people that are not here yet. This little 50-50 planner kind of helps with that. You could break up your day in these three blocks um, and, and make sure that you're not working all three blocks of any day, right? Like pastors love to do this. Um, <clears throat> and then you have a Sabbath day where you're, where you're just worshiping the Lord. But then maybe think about how much time am I spending, what time I do give to my church? How much of it is spent in the doing stuff for the inherited things, you know, traditional worship, Bible studies, all that. How much of it's spent out in the community connecting with people that don't know Jesus and kind of structuring our life that way. I'm going to go through this really fast. Um, this is kind of the process of fresh expressions, um, and it, it's listening, loving and serving, building community, exploring discipleship, forming church. So it doesn't always happen like this. There's no formulas or like A, B, C, or you know, pour, pour mix and water, and you have a church. But this is a pretty good process to think about. And it starts with listening, listening to God, listening to our neighbor. Our neighborhood, we don't do that real well in our culture. We listen to respond rather than listening to understand. This is a posture of listening to understand our community and God and what God's up to. 
Uh, we're hyper-connected to our devices and we don't listen very well. This is a statue of the preacher in Philadelphia, the preacher who guided our ways and the posture of the preacher is the preacher's listening, like saying, come on, give me more, rather than the preacher who's kind of talking or, or teaching or leading. Um, the preacher guides our ways by how they listen. Um, so I'm going to show this video really quick, and as we watch it together, uh, just try to pick up, there's a, uh, this is church happening in a tattoo parlor. What does good news sound like for, for Matt? So let's watch this together real quick. Uh, we're a uh, tattoo and body piercing parlor, so um, anything in that vein of, you know, any legal body piercing, like, you know, nostrils, belly buttons, tongues, uh, eyebrows. I'm not a tattooer myself, but all the guys here are awesome and not the most religious type. Um, I don't, I wouldn't call myself an, athe an atheist, but I don't really practice uh, religion these days. Have you ever thought about how Jesus really didn't spend time in church buildings either? Like, Jesus was out. Yeah, he was just out doing his thing. He wandered around and he just did good shit for people. Like, people were suffering and he helped them out. We noticed at New Life, which is one of our worship experiences, and in our recovery community, a lot of people getting ink all the time. And I started to have a conversation with Nicole, who's the pioneer of Tattoo Parlor Church. We talked about what it would be like to come and be the church in a tattoo parlor. Michael had uh, made a connection with the owner at this shop, who was very gracious. It was like the spirit led to where it was gonna be received. We believe that there's somebody called a person of peace. And so in Fresh Expressions, we pray before we do a fresh expression. And we say, God, reveal to us the person of peace that you want us to connect to and where we just kind of like flow wherever the spirit tells us to go. And so that's exactly what happened with this relationship here. It's not necessarily for me, the, the tattooing, but it's the opportunity to, to be with people that are never going to walk into our churches on a Sunday morning. We've seen incredible things happen. People accept Christ. We've seen the artists take communion with us for the first time in their lives, uh, bring us their prayer requests and, and concerns. And so we're a spiritual community being the church here in the midst of the people. Today at Tattoo Parlor Church, I experienced church, really. If I were to close my eyes and just hear the things that were going on, I would hear the sounds of a needle gun in the background, um, people laughing, but I would also feel the presence of God knowing that um, where we are isn't just a tattoo shop, but um, it's God in the world and we're together sharing communion, uh, singing Amazing Grace, and um, fellowshipping with one another. People who um, come in and out of here who may not go to church are hearing um, the gospel or even the snippet of the gospel when they're coming in and out. The people who work here, they might consider this the only church they would ever go to. I mean, if you define church as people gathering together and talking about their beliefs and, and you know, it having a positive impact on their life, then, then sure. Um, is it church like mass? No, you know, it's not like formal church setting, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'd consider it church. It's a little, maybe unorthodox version of a church, but it's a church nonetheless. All the ingredients of church are happening here. There's the community piece. 
We're tethered to an existing congregation, so we're not something floating around in isolation. We're part of the larger collective church. There's the upward dimension where we're actually having communion in the space. We're studying scripture. We're engaging scripture. People are coming, uh, as we experience today, with just honest gut level things that they're actually wrestling with and talking through how the Lord's bringing them through those things and they're growing as disciples. So I would call this a full um, expression of the church of Jesus. We, we had a, a guy named Nick who was um, coming and, and kind of just checking us out. And we noticed that Nick would be like leaning in as we were praying, as we're getting ready to have the Lord's Supper uh, and just kind of, you could tell he was engaging us a little bit. Uh, and so he one day he asked, you know, what is the Lord's Supper thing about? What does all of it mean? Explain that to me. And so that gave us an opportunity to talk about how we all make mistakes. We all have brokenness in our life. But God loves us in spite of that and invites us into a relationship. And one of the ways that God does that is through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, the meal of grace. And so uh, Nick responded and said, yep, you know what? I think I need some Jesus in my life. That was his, you know, uh, response to uh, God's call. And so he took communion for the first time right here in the tattoo parlor uh, and started his faith journey here. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to move forward a little bit because I got a little carried away and I want to. Um, <clears throat> I want to get to your questions and answers, and I'm sure you have a lot of those. So that would be the loving and serving stage. We listen. We, we hear a need. We're listening to what God's calling us to. Nicole talked about some of that. We love and serve people with no agenda. I'm going to just jump over that. Over time, as we love and serve, we build community. As we build community, like, for instance, we have an 1881, uh, you know, very Methodist Episcopal South segregationist racist congregation is now a fully interracial we have a black church and a white church now merged together worshiping the same place and that was not through us um, like changing internally it was joining what the spirit was doing uh, in our community and building relationships with our racial other and then over time um, as we built those relationships this new kind of thing was formed I wanted to quickly hit um, the discipleship piece because this is a, a question that people have. Um, and we usually think about discipleship as, you know, I come to Bible study and I get my shingle on the wall and I complete disciple one, two, three, four. And there you go. It's this very didactic, like uh, impartation of knowledge idea. And that's important. That's one aspect of it. But discipleship is also happening in every sphere of life all week long not just at the church compound, but through informal discussion, through interaction with other people. Um, as, uh, as we walk with Jesus, as we walk with each other, discipleship is happening. Um, as, as we go out into the world, the, the proper reading of Matthew 28 is, go and as you go along the journey, make disciples of Jesus. Uh, we think about building disciple like if we just have the right pieces, we'll put it all together and uh, create a Mr. Potato Head or Miss Potato Head disciple. Um, we think discipleship works like this, where it's this kind of linear, you know, going on to perfection thing. But all of us know how it really looks. It's kind of that bottom squiggly line, right, where we go for a while and we're doing great, and then we 
go back the wrong direction for a while and repent and then get back. So that's, it's a messy relational process. And it's important to think about, so socialization is like, you know, when Matt shows up at Tattoo Parlor Church for the first time and says, man, this is church, this is effing cool. But he goes ahead and says the whole word. Um, and people are going outside smoking cigarettes every five minutes. Over time, through socialization, they're like, you know, the rest of these people aren't dropping F-bombs, going out to, you know, vape or smoke a bowl or whatever their thing might be. And these people really are different. As we live in Christ, as we, as we live holy lives, um, Whoops, something's going on with my computer. Sorry, y'all. Can y'all still hear me? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, good. There's something popped up that I was lined up. Um, so that's happening, and non-formal learning's happening as we communicate together, as we do life together. I'm going to jump over this, um, and that's the whole process. And once people are starting to become disciples of Jesus, once we're worshiping and taking communion and praying together, we would say that that's church taking shape. Sometimes people will come back to the inherited congregation. They'll do what we call a bridge back. And a lot of our growth at Wildwood has come from that. Sometimes they'll just stay out on the edge and do cool missional stuff. They'll never really become a church, but it's stuff that God's calling us to do anyway. Then we start the whole thing over. And that usually happens by somebody comes to Christ in the middle of this journey. Then they go, you know what? I can plant a church too. I want to, I want to study scripture. I want to, you know, turn my normal practices and things that I do every week into a spiritual community. And then this is a little, just a startup sheet that I'll make available to you all that just kind of give you like a little step-by-step -step guide if you were to, you know, get with your group and say, I got a passion or a hobby and I want to, I want to form a church with people that don't go to church. It's just a little uh, kind of a, a helper. All right. So I'm going to um, turn it over to Susan who's going to kick us off in our Q&A time. And then this whole last 20-something minutes is just for you all to fire away with questions, responses, or anything Pastor Dale wants to add. Okay, let me first jump in and say uh, thank you so much, Michael. That was just great. Um, you guys excited about what he shared? Wasn't that awesome? Um, so we've got some really good questions. Before we start that, I want to just mention that process that he just went through can actually be found on our website. We kind of took that from our Fresh Expressions uh, seminar that we went to that Michael led um, back in the spring. And um, we've got a page on our website. So committeeofhope.church slash Fresh Expressions. You can see that process that he just went through. And you'll also see there um, Susan, who he just mentioned. Susan Heineman, who attends our church, um, has done Fresh Expressions. Yep, Susan's waving. Do that again, Susan. Hi. So, yeah, so I'm going to let Susan introduce herself in just a second. But she's done some Fresh Expressions in Virginia where she was doing church. She actually was a part of Community of Hope way back when it started, then moved away to Virginia, was doing some of these things there, and now she's back. So we're excited that she's uh, uh, willing to be our Fresh Expressions uh, ministry leader. So Susan, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how people at our church can get connected, and then we'll jump into the Q&A. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Susan Heinemann, and um, like Kathy kind of introduced how I was at the church and then 
Uh, I became involved with Fresh Expressions uh, while I was on staff here in Virginia, which is where I'm at right now, visiting my family. And um, I was a children's pastor and then a family pastor. But my heart really became uh, just all the, what really started it was that these families were out at the baseball games and the soccer games every Saturday and Sunday, but kept saying they couldn't get to church. And so my heart just really went out to how, how can we get out there in the community then? How could we be church out there where those people are at? And all of a sudden I come upon fresh expressions and um, how that happens that, you know, like Michael said, you, you're listening, you're hearing where people are at and you're reaching the people that would never come through the doors, or maybe they came through the doors and they just didn't find it relevant anymore. And how can you be the church where they're at? And so that's some of what we had started to do. And then we had a meeting here uh, in February, right before pandemic uh, in Florida, you know, at Community of Hope. And then pandemic kind of, I hate to say it, but just kind of shut down the, the thoughts of how we could continue to do something like that when we're supposed to be isolating. Uh, so I was really uh, excited to hear from Michael and what they were doing to have fresh expressions um, continue to happen and, and how we could start that in Palm Beach County um, in the 561. So thank you, Michael. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Susan, for introducing yourself. So if you're interested in being a part of this, and we hope you are, you can go right to that page on our website, communityofhope.church slash fresh expressions, yeah. and you can email Susan and let her know, and she'll, she'll keep you informed. So um, we've got some really good questions here, um, and I'm just going to start with one of the earliest questions that Alex asked. He said, when you were coming to church as a new pastor, how did you deal with people who were reluctant about these new fresh expressions of church without making them feel neglected? So, Michael, you want to share about that? Sure. And I want to come back to Susan's question about the digital in the pandemic, um, some things that I think are key. Um, but, yeah, the, the, um, I think what we had at Wildwood and now at St. Mark's, we're doing another revitalization right now. Was uh, the what in the recovery community we call it the gift of desperation, uh, G-O-D, uh, kind of an acronym for God. So these people had really given um, their lives to the church, and they just didn't want to see it die. So I could set clear boundaries as a leader, and I, I my opening sermon series was called the Open Door Policy, and I took the door off the that off the office hinges and put it in the sanctuary, and I said I'm not going to be in the office. Um, I'll, if you need an appointment or whatever, we'll do that. So, um, I, I also did very traditional things like they teach us to, you know, uh, hang paper to win the LOLs, to door knock, to do home visits with the congregation. So there wasn't a whole lot of them at that time. So that wasn't too hard to do, which can be harder in a larger church. But it, the, the key principle is, uh, cultivate the center, love the center care for the center, and experiment on the edge. And we just had a little small team. It was like three people in the beginning. And they were the evangelism committee. And they were they were like, we couldn't get on any of the good committees. So we're the evangelism committee. Um, we couldn't make SBRC or trustees or whatever. So, But that little group of people, we just started ideating and, and looking at the community and seeing who did we know, what could we do, and we just started it. So I think helping the inherited congregation understand that their faithfulness enables all the fresh expressions. Like 
we share stories about, you know, Matt being baptized last week or whatever in the inherited church and say, thank you for your prayers, presence, gift, service, witness, because you enabled that to happen. And here's all these great things. So they feel included and they're part of it because they are like they are giving of themselves. So all of that can take place. So those are some key things. And on the digital part, I was just thinking like a church community, a hope size, because we'll, we'll have this period where we'll only be able to meet in small groups for a long time, uh, potentially. So um, Fresh Expression spreads the church life out through the whole seven-day week. So it's not just a Sunday morning thing anymore. You, we could have people that go to multiple things all week long, and you probably already do this as a large church. But now we're talking about how we'll utilize those third places that once they start to reopen, and we'll have people you know, scattered throughout the whole community meeting. And those smaller groups will meet probably for a while before we'll be able to come back into the inherited traditional worship space and planting those digital fresh expressions. And from now on, we'll make them hybrid. You know, I shared a little bit about how we do that. But when we go back, we will keep a digital element. Like we'll have Tattoo Parlor Church and we'll have people on our team uh, Facebook Live it as we do it. So if we lose the, the physical space, again, we'll already have digital culture built into it. So it won't be so hard to sustain the community is what we're thinking. Of. So I wanted to just add that with, with Susan's question earlier. Great. Um, okay, here are two questions that are kind of connected. One uh, from Josh, how do you keep a cohesive message across so many groups? And then Steve asked, Stephen asked, uh, do you have sermon series or topics that you address so that the message is the same at all the branches? So both kind of similar questions um, about cohesiveness of your messaging. Yeah, and this was really a struggle for us inherited church pastors because releasing the wolves means there's going to be mess and things that we don't like or agree with. <laughs> People are going to eat stuff and all that. But um, we we just teach our team. We want to have theological unity, but not theological uniformity. We would like to have that. but um, So we have people that are, you know, no, no theological, so they can say weird stuff that's, like, not Christian. So, um, and we can have people that are on a very conservative spectrum or very progressive. Um, and um, we, what we do with our team is, is we try to keep to a Wesleyan theological core, and we always have somebody um, at the Fresh Expressions who are in our kind of our core group of pioneers that I work with. I work with the guys. My wife works with the girls. We um, work with them on theology and all these things, but we really do release them. So, no, there's not a sermon series plan. It's whatever the Holy Spirit lays on their heart that's appropriate for their group. Now, I will tell you that these folks take it very seriously, like 80-year-old Larry. He's always borrowing my commentaries and stuff, my biblical commentaries for his little five-minute mini-sermons that he does. He's like, Pastor, is this right? Is this right? Can I say this? And I appreciate that, too. But they are released, really. But if, say, somebody comes and throws a, um, a heresy grenade into the group, we'll just kind of gently come along and say, you know, that's one way to think about that. But here's another way, um, and this is what Jesus said. Or, and we teach our people to do Jesus stories. So it's kind of hard to, to get those wrong, um, the Jesus story. I mean, it can. But, and we, we teach them these questions 
So uh, we'll, if, if all else fails and you're not comfortable doing like a, a sermonic conversation is what we call them, here's some questions. If this Jesus story happened today, what would it look like? And then you just let people talk about that. It's no right or wrong answers. You can't go like it's what it means to me. If it, if it happened today, I think it would look like this. Um, and then we may ask a follow-up question like, so if this Jesus story is true, how would it change how we live? And then people can talk about that. So we teach them those kind of questions where the, the group is kind of the, is the sermon. Cool. Um, here's a question. I'm, I, having been at your seminar, I have an idea of what you're going to say. So I'm going to ask the question to give you an opportunity. How many of these people eventually end up attending church on Sundays? You know, with us, it is it is kind of high. Um, I would say that's not the goal always. Uh, we, we are very happy if they would just stay out there and be in that fresh expression of church. But we created this thing called a fourth place. I did not get to talk about this, so thank you for asking the question. But our fresh expression people that would encounter Christ, and they would come back and visit our traditional service, and they would never come back. Um, and so they, we would follow up with them and say, you know, what, 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 and get the why of that. So we created this thing called New Life, and it actually became a church plant. But it's you know, like we have dance breaks and coffee toast and social media moment. We mix in secular music with, with some a couple Christian songs. So it's more comfortable for people that have never been to church, like a formal kind of church, to for them to move into that space rather than like, you know, fully into like a traditional where there's hymnals and pews. But the for us, the bridgebacks are pretty high because my wife and I are really involved in the in it and we're always trying to get people to go further. Very good. Um, so Barbara Manny asked, are these fresh expression groups announced as Christian groups before <laughs> people attend? Um, do they find that sometimes people are offended about you trying to do a Christian thing in these these circles? Great question. And um, the, the answer is really very contextually specific. Um, and it depends on kind of the pioneer and how they do it. Most of them, we're very upfront that these are Christian, right? It's Tattoo Parlor Church. It's burritos and Bibles. It's yoga church. So we're not like pulling a bait and switch, like we're going to come do yoga and then all of a sudden we're going to say, hey, if you died today, do you know Jesus? Um, it's very, we're very open about it. But they, they can start in different ways. So let me explain what I mean. So say Denise is starting her runner church 3.1 and she says, hey, next week, y'all, you want to come like maybe five minutes early and we're just going to say a prayer together for those that are comfortable with that. Or uh, next week, we're going to stay after and have like a little discussion about a Jesus story. So it's an opt-in or opt-out. It's not bait and switch. And I would say, you know, Jesus does go from like, uh, follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people to like, unless you carry your cross, you're not worthy of me. So there is a progression in discipleship. And I wouldn't call it bait and switch, but there's a growth process for sure that Jesus himself um, used. But so there's all these different ways and, and some are like when we do our dinner church, there's a little card on the table and it says, hey, we're going to have a Jesus story after the meal. 
If you want to stay for that Jesus story, please do. But whether you stay or not, please come back next week because we just love being with you or whatever. So I don't know if that answers it well. Yeah, great. Um, Keith asked, what would you say are the top challenges of doing church this way? Uh, the top challenges for one is um, burnout of the people that are involved, um, navigating, um, trying to keep the inherited church and, and the emerging forms of church in relationship can be challenging sometimes. And a lot of folks in our, our traditional congregation, they still say stuff like nine years into this and they'll say, Hey, when are those people ever come back to real church? You know, here, 11 o'clock traditional with hymns. So it, 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 and it's hard. It's a mental model shift, right? I grew up in a traditional Methodist church with hymnals and pews and all that. That's what I know to be church. So it's hard to conceive of this as that thing. So there's always tension there. And um, yeah, I would say those would be the biggies. And and being able to, to fail and be okay with it. If you're not okay with failure, this is going to be really rough. Uh, because we just think failure is part of the process. Some of these are going to fail and they'll give birth to new things. We're going to fail. Like we just know that up front. Um, your wife, Jill, used the expression fail forward. Um, tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, because the whole narrative of Scripture is the story of human humanity failing forward with God, right? From Eden and the fall until Revelation 21 and 22. It's us and Jesus with his disciples. Like they failed all along. You know, Peter's trying to jump out of boats and cut people's ears off and Judas betrayed him and uh, they're fighting over who's going to be the greatest. Um, so it's a it's a journey of failure. Sometimes they were able to cast out demons. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes they were like, let's just call down fire from heaven and kill everyone, uh, you know, in Samaria. So it's a it, the expectation is that we're going to fail forward. But every failure is a learning experience. So we can say what what went wrong there, or how did we mess that up, or where are we? Then we just go back to it. And the great thing is these don't cost anything. Like there's no financial, you know, um, where we're going to lose a million dollars or something. So it's it's failure in the experimental iterative sense. Okay, great. Um, Janet asks a question. Are you also very open about the sins that the Bible clearly talks about? Yeah, I personally am. Um, there's there's people on our team that are on different places than the theological spectrum. And that's why I try to just say unity, not uniformity. I very clearly, um, I, I hold a traditionalist view of the scriptures and an all-inclusive, progressive um, embrace of all people. So. Um, some of these communities are pretty pretty progressive as far as like who's gathering in them, um, uh, but we are we are teaching the scriptures. We're not sugarcoating anything. We're not, um, you know, we're not rewriting scripture. We're we're teaching clearly from from the Bible. Um, so, 
Uh, great. I would love to hear you share a little bit more about the person of peace concept. Okay. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think Luke 10 is Jesus's missional blueprint for a pre-Christian world, but it's also definitely works for a post-Christian world. And it's so simple that it's, it's, just, it's elegant, it's beautiful. Teams of two, travel light, it's dangerous, sheep in the midst of wolves, all that. And the whole key of it is you're going to go to a context and you're dependent on that person of peace to welcome you into that community. And then you do life with them and you go to their table. So that person of peace contact, it's in Luke 10, I believe verse nine or eight. Um, that is what, so there's an, a posture of vulnerability, like we need them. And, and so there's an exchange is mutual. Um, so just some some persons of peace that in a, in a practical kind of story way. So Brian, who owns the tattoo shop, not a Christian uh, when we first started, uh, but one of his artists who worked in the shop was connected to our church in our recovery ministries. So that opens the door. We have a conversation with Brian. Brian says, yeah, you can do that on such and such a day and time. As long as people get tattoos, I don't really care what they do. It's like, okay, because, you know, there's a financial benefit to these uh, ones that happen in third places like Moe's Southwest Grill or the community center or whatever. So we go in and over time having conversation with Brian and getting to know him and sharing our faith with him. He actually became a Christian. He goes to church now. Um, so but that's an idea of a person of peace. They, they may or may not even be Christian when we start the journey, but they're they they're a they give us peace and they say, yeah, come on. Um, so. Um, very good. Um, so you talked about the kind of the essentials of church. And one of the things you mentioned was holiness. Um, so how do you kind of work in holiness at the tattoo parlor? parlor? Do you have uh, any struggles with that? Yes. And um, I've had some death threats and stuff about, yeah, Luke ten six. Thank you, Susan. Um, about the tattoo thing. So um, I'll, I'll just give you a quick theological treatment of this. Uh, Leviticus um, you know, 19, the tattoo restriction. If you read that passage, okay, it says, do not trim the corners of your beard. Do not eat shellfish. Don't eat anything with the blood in it. Don't eat anything that fruit that doesn't lie fallow for so many years, blah, 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 blah. You know, sandwiched in all of those restrictions that we all do every day. Don't wear clothing that has two different kinds of uh, fabric. We pull out the little tattoo restriction, which was really about cutting and marking our body for the dead. Um, and then we, we pull that out and say, you shouldn't do that. Um, but what we do is we read scripture through a Jesus hermeneutic. And it's, it's the barrier of people who are getting tattoos, wherever you want to land on it and call it whatever you will. But is, is that a barrier that's worth to me going and being in a relationship with them so that they come to know Jesus? Because I know that they're never going to come in our church on Sunday morning. Even if they did, they probably wouldn't be received real well. So because we're super oriented missionally, um, I'm looking at, at, that tattoo restriction, I'm looking, reading the Jesus hermeneutic, then I'm looking at what Paul says, you know, some can eat meat sacrificed to idols, some can't, it's all about a matter of conscience, and I think there's a strong biblical argument there, because if you're going to hold people to that tattoo restriction, 
you need to not trim your beard or your bangs. You need to not eat shellfish or anything with blood in it or fruit. And we live by grace, not not by the law, right? By faith, by grace, we've been saved. So that's uh, how we respond to that. And um, I know people that I would not personally do this, but have started fresh expressions of church and strip clubs and um, all different kind of places. If, if the gospel doesn't spill out into that space and if we don't find ways to engage that, it's just going to continue how it is. So holiness it, I, to me is not about, um, you know, like uh, being perfection, perfectionist legally. It's like pouring out bleach by how I live my life in a, in a, a space or a practice. And over time, it actually transforms it. So now th- these are pieces of art of Jesus, iconography and, and scripture stories and people. This is the way they express their faith. So it's transformed in Christ. So, Sorry, that was a really long answer. No, that was great. Um, I am going to turn it back to Pastor Dale because we are just about out of time. Well, you guys, it's easy to see why I love Michael Beck, right? And uh, this stuff is very close to not only my heart, uh, to the heart I really think of our church. I want to say a couple of things before we close. I will say, I, I appreciated what you just said there about holiness and the tattoos. I'm okay with that. You have a dog church, but you didn't have a cat church. That would be the that would tip over for me into some theological issues. So, you know, yeah. I just want to kind of get that in there. Um, I want to say a few things to contextualize this for our people, uh, Michael. Um, I want to say two things. One, I I just want to talk about our context real quickly. Some have heard me say this before. Remember, Palm Beach County, right? 1.4 million people, uh, give or take. Uh, One in 11 can identify a church home, a place of faith. That would include those uh, who, you know, we would talk about a synagogue or temple. And uh, we are the largest, uh, the largest county in America with respect to the highest percentage of uh, never been to church ever. So um, our vision, church, I'll remind you again, our vision, interests, interested people, grow fully devoted followers as well as we may ever uh, execute into that vision, we have a large segment of our population that will never come to Community of Hope. They're not going to come to West Campus. They're not going to come to East Campus. They're not going to come to Espanol. They're not going to come to our future Lake Worth Campus that's going to open later this year. They're never going to come. And uh, so this kind of idea uh, is is really compelling and really, I think what Jesus wants us to do, we're, we're to take church to them. And so I'm very passionate about this and it just thrills, thrills my heart. Some of, I want to say, the other thing I want to say too, is just uh, connect real quickly some history. Uh, our church began uh, in a movement very similar to this. Uh, Community of Hope started really literally with uh, my family um, cleaning restrooms uh, to uh, introduce people to church, and, and that's how it began. If you go back to 1996, any building, frankly, in Royal Palm and in large parts of Wellington that was here in 1996, it's not an exaggeration to say my family has probably washed the toilets in all those places. 
And, and in the fall of last year, we re we resurfaced what I felt like was an important conversation. We call it vision 2.0 and fresh expressions was a large part of what I talked about at that meeting on our West campus that was packed was this idea of us embracing again, the, the idea that, you know, I was, I, I was listening to what you were saying. I, you know, what it kept rattling around in my head, Michael was, in all of this work where Paul said in Romans 2, verse 4, which is part of the values of community of hope, that it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And so it's, it's people of peace actually being willing to go out, being willing to invest relationally over a long haul with people for whom we, have, we might have really strong disagreements with a, with a whole host of things. But when we manifest the kindness of Jesus that has been expressed to us, um, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, just enters in to relationships. And here's what I believe with all, with all my heart. All of us tonight who are on this uh, teaching time at Hope University, we all have friends or loved ones for whom all of what Michael has just shared has particular relevance for them because they're not coming to community of hope, no matter how well we do it. And so really the opportunity to have people step into this uh, is, oh my gosh, to, to say it excites me. I mean, honestly. And so, you know, I just, I just want to say in closing, I mean, you know, I think all of us uh, based on what you've shared, Michael should take a moment. We should spend time, thinking about, you know, what our gifts are, what our hobbies are, what our passions are, and how God by his Holy Spirit might invite us to use those basic wiring patterns in our lives to enter into uh, explorative conversations with people about discipleship, which I loved, by the way, um, that when you're when we're together, we're 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 just exploring discipleship. And if all of us think for a moment of of how you came to faith in Christ, I'm going to just tell you, you know, like when we started Hope You and I talked about Provenient Grace, this is how it started. We began to explore sort of what it would look like to be a follower of Jesus. And um, man, I just think if all of us kind of got behind that. Oh my goodness! We'll go get we'll go get the third of the people in our in our in our community that aren't coming. And Jesus is saying, "Go get them. Go you go you go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you." And so I don't know. This is this is really really powerful. And I I want to thank you so much for what you offered to us. And I wanted to say one more time, please consider exploring checking out our website. Uh, reach out to Susan Heinemann, my good friend, and uh, she can help broker the next level of conversation for you about what what this might look like in your own life. And um, let's let's just see what happens uh, in this. This is not going away, so we're going to continue to have conversations about it. And I think it would be very powerful. So, can we all thank Michael for being with us tonight? Praise God. And uh, I want to take a moment uh, before we close and pray for my friend, okay? Would you all join me in that? Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, the privilege of talking about uh, church as a mixed economy. 
and as a mixed ecology. And I'm just so grateful, God, that um, really in a lot of these ways, this is how many of us are here. It's why many of us are here. Uh, somebody was a person of peace for us and began to navigate, help us navigate what it would look like to explore a relationship with you. And so, God, I want to pray every good thing over my good friend, Pastor Michael. I pray favor and blessing uh, over his family, over his ministry, uh, over the leverage of his leadership as he's challenging uh, both new churches and old churches and big churches and small churches in um, having a renewed passion for the lost and being the kinds of people that would, uh, like John Wesley said years ago, be more vile and just go where the people are. And uh, God, I pray that you would even call to uh, Michael's uh, you know, mind um, the, the next turn, the next click for what that looks like at Wildwood and what that looks like in his ministry. I pray the same for us, uh, that God, you would give dreams and visions over this. I pray that you empower Susan as she uh, leads this effort and, yes. and, and helps us uh, in this regard. Uh, but God, I pray blessings over my friend that you would multiply his influence uh, in a world of, of um, in, in the church community where we need to have this conversation. So anoint his teaching and anoint his words. We love you. We thank you for tonight. We pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I want to remind you next week, Dr. Tim Tennant, and uh, talking about world Christianity. And uh, we're, we're going to look forward to it. And lo love everybody. Kathy, turning it back to you. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you all. Thanks for having me.